I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. I'm going to do something today that I haven't thought to do before. I'm going to give you the answer uh, to the opening question before I give you the question. So the answer is, I am. Okay, that's the answer. We're going to practice it now. You ready? That's, that's it. I am. Okay. One, two, three. I am. I think you got it. That's good. You're ready for the question. Here we go. The question for today is, who's the worst sinner you know? I am. Okay. It's the first time I've ever scored 100%. That's very good. Okay, we're going to get a little more serious now because I'm going to make you show your answer on this one on a scale of 1 to 10. We're going to hold up our fingers in a minute. But I, know, I want you to seriously consider this. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 is like perfect and 1 is like horrible. How good of an example for Christ are you on an average daily basis? Just So think of your number. No, don't be shouting it out or anything. Think of your number. We're going to hold them up on our fingers. So how good, on average, of an example for Christ are you on a daily basis? I'm, not, I'm going to show you mine in a little bit. I'm not going to show you mine right now. Hold up your answers and look around. Hold up. What's your number? What's your number? What do you think you are? Five, a four? Okay, we've got lots of fives. Kind of in the midway, okay? Some, well, there's my case. You really are heathens. I can only assume... I can only assume those not holding up your hands is because it's just too embarrassing. Uh, but hold on. Because first and foremost, we've got to go to the scripture. The apostle Paul, who wrote like almost two-thirds of the New Testament, was used mightily by the Lord. That guy writes this. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full Acceptance. What's that mean? That means, in other words, every believer should consider this, adopt this, and repeat this as their own. This is a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. You see, think about it for a minute. If we put, if we put that on our car mirror, and then we glanced at it every time we got out wherever it was we went... I can only imagine what, a, what an incredible impact that would have on the, on the grace that we offer to others. That little reminder. He came into the world to save sinners. And I'm right up there at the top of the list. Today, this is not about beating ourselves up, but beating our pride back and uh, down to where it belongs. Paul, Paul writes, I urge you in view of God's mercy, because that's what makes honesty possible, okay? In view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, we saw what that means. It means uh, separated, dedicated to serving God and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is your daily worship, your day by day. This is our everyday worship. Do not be conformed, do not be shaped uh, any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. 
For by the grace given me, Paul says, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think, uh, think of yourself with, <laughs> I just like this line, with sober judgment. You know, not boozy judgment, sober judgment in accordance with, look at this line, in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. You see, God's put a little measure of faith in everyone, and that's it. That's all you'll ever get. That's not true. That's not true. This line confuses people. Judge yourself in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. This does not mean, it does not mean that God supernaturally implants some kind of faith chip in our mind or in our heart and programs or predetermines our level of belief and trust in him. He does not give it by measure that way. You know how I know this? The scripture says, for God does not give the spirit by measure. For God does not give the spirit by measure. So go ahead and judge yourself by the measure he's given you. But I thought he doesn't give it by, by measure. Not if he can help it. But you know, there's that whole free will thing going on. Therefore, any and every limit placed on God's spirit is on us. We're the limiting factor. He didn't give it by, by measure, but if you only got a measure, <laughs> you need to look inside. So we need to take a hard look at the measure of faith we've allowed the Lord to give us, which includes the freedom that comes from embracing, like Paul has, his grace so that we can be authentic and transparent and honest about our broken self with ourselves and with the Lord and with the people he's placed around us because that's what it is to live a life of a daily sacrifice. And we need to judge ourselves by that, that measure of faith that we've allowed him to give us because a renewed mind desires genuine humility. It's a rare thing, genuine humility. We, we, even when we're looking for it, it's hard to kind of figure it out. Not false humility. That's just a form of arrogance, right? That's where somebody, I, I know I'm better, but I'm going to act like I'm not. Not self-condemnation. That's sad and, and pathetic. That's not what God wants but a realistic appraisal based on the measure of faith that we've allowed him to give to us. To, because it directly relates to the amount of time we've given to him in the word, in prayer, in worship, and in our conversations with others. That's how, that's how we true ourselves up and keep ourselves true. And I like I like this usage of the word true. We don't use it a lot, but it's in construction when something is out of true, and we use that line. When it's out of true, it simply means it's not correctly aligned or, or positioned. And you true it by leveling it or squaring it or measuring it until it's where it belongs, where it needs to be. And Jesus tells us there's only one true God. Only one true God, who just happened to come to us as a carpenter, which I find humorous. And he is the measure 
of all things, which means all things are true to the degree they align to him. Which is why we must daily adjust our thoughts and our words and our deeds to be more like him. But if you want to be true, you got to level with yourself and the, and the Lord and others, the people around you. That, that last part there, that's, that's the part, that's the part of the process uh, that we seem to find the most unpleasant, even painful, letting people see the, the things we don't want anyone to see. Most of us. And, and so when we block those, that's, that's us uh, thinking more highly of ourselves, presenting ourselves in a more a higher way. And most of us enjoy thinking of ourselves more highly than we ought, which is why Paul, you know, says, I say to I say to every one of you, it's a pretty good bet that he's right. And although inflated egos are destructive and really destructive to the soul, they're big business in this world. An unrenewed mindset reflexively embraces ever-increasing self-centeredness in this world. And so we got to be aware of the pattern of this world's untrue, unconscious influence on you and me. Because it's just, unless we're, unless we're helping it go the other direction, it's just going to increase. I find this very fascinating. In the world of magazines, you know, first there was life. First, there was Life, a magazine that celebrated every aspect of life down here. Then, then came people. After all, they're the most important part of life. Then came us. I mean, who wants to waste our time reading about them? And finally, self, in all caps. Of course. You know the magazine that I'm waiting for? Just Bruce. The magazine for Bruce Wayne Worson. Grandsons. Can you ever have enough? Uh, I find it... How do we cycle old sermons? They, they put this together for me and I'm really enjoying it. I bought these pants on eBay. That's, that's true. Okay. It is interesting how Paul sets the example of the attitude he's calling for by saying, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you. See, Paul has a lot of bragging rights. He could have said, by the power and authority given me is verified by miraculous demonstrations. Nothing like that. Instead of by the power or by the authority, he says, by the grace, by the grace given me because he has a good grasp of the grace that got him to where he is as undeserving as he was and so I want to take this line this what he calls this trustworthy saying that we should all adopt and I want to give you the context uh, what he writes just before and what he writes after because because he begins by saying to, this is written to timid little Timothy in big old Ephesus. He begins by saying, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who's given 
me strength, that he considered me trustworthy. This is like, are you kidding? Because you know where this is going. I'm the worst of sinners. He considered me trustworthy, appointing me to his service, even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor, a.k.a. Christian killer, and a violent man. Oh, I want you to notice that. I was a violent man. Notice that because this is cool. Last week, we saw where Paul, remember his name Saul? Then he changes it to Paul. We saw where Saul quoted Psalm 18. This is from last week. He, he writes, Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Psalm 18, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. Okay? Psalm 18, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles, writes Saul, also known as Paul, the violent man. But I went digging, I went digging around and look what I found at the beginning and the end of Psalm 18. It begins with a Psalm of David on the day that the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. And at the end it says, he says, you have delivered me from the violent man. Therefore, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the Gentiles. And that's the line Saul quotes and then calls himself the violent man. So Paul goes on now encouraging little old Timothy in big old Ephesus. So, so let's back up a tick. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And you got to pause there and go, wait, so that's, that's what gets you mercy? Yes, that's what gets you mercy. Disobedience now gets discipline. And revolt gets wrath. But ignorance and, mercy, or ignorance and unbelief, that gets mercy. An opportunity to know God's grace. What you then do next determines what comes next. And so Paul says next, the grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And now here it comes. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance by those who assess themselves with sober judgment. Christ Jesus came into the world for this one huge reason, to save sinners, of whom I am the worst, which makes him the best example of Christ's patience. He's about to show us how being the least like Jesus makes him a 10 when it comes to being an example for Jesus. Because we're not supposed to be trying to pretend that we're just like Jesus and up our number. This is my witness to the world. Oh, I feel bad. I'm only a three when it comes to being like Jesus. And so I better pretend to be something I'm not. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You got the whole thing backwards. Your example 
is how transparent you are with how good he is to how awful you are. You catch it? It flips it on its head. All of a sudden, when I'm looking at what kind of an example I am for Christ, it's, yeah, how much am I able to display his patience? Well, a lot, because I'm the worst of sinners. I'm right up there at the top. And so he says, uh, let's see, uh, Christ Jesus came to save sinners of whom I am the worst. So here's, here's how he puts it. To save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. We evaluate ourselves all wrong. It's not how much are you like Jesus. It's how much are you showing the world your faults and flaws and what Jesus has done with them. Because this is how he displays what he offers to the world through us. The Lord loves to display his incredible, merciful, long-suffering patience. Because turning us around and setting us free is comparable to how a tugboat turns a tanker, <laughs> how it's going to turn it 180 degrees. And how does it do it? One bump at a time. Bump, <laughs> bump, yeah. bump. And that's how Jesus turns us around. So the best thing we can show this world is a holy, pleasing, uh, living sacrifice to God is to show them how much patience the Lord must have had and continues to have tugging at the heart of someone like me. Bump, bump, bump. So now with that in mind, you, you get what we're saying here. If I ask you to evaluate yourselves on your example for Christ, I'm not asking you to, to put up fingers of, of how much you're like Jesus. I'm asking you to put up fingers that shows how bad you are. And therefore, how much opportunity there is in you to show this world how great he is. So with that in mind, scale of 1 to 10, and I want to see those hands again, how good of an example for God's grace and Jesus' patience are you? I'm a 10. I think we might have just had a perfect score again. Okay, you get, you get that, because that's kind of a... But boy, if you get that, let it sink clear into your heart. It's not about trying to pretend to be more like Jesus, because that's my witness. It's about being more honest with my faults, so the world can see through this example his patience. Now, Paul had established the church in Ephesus, okay? Uh, it's a seaside mega city. It was a very sinful beach town. I mean, if you're going to spring break, this is where you're going is in modern-day Turkey, it was, and they did, it was in its prime in Paul's day second only to Rome. Oh, you're going to be surprised by, by these stats here. Had a bustling population larger than Miami. Okay? Larger than Miami. This was the beach town of, uh, of Paul's day. It was their Rome away from Rome. 
Okay, this right here is the 21,000 seat uh, arena for the Miami Heat. Okay? Stare at it. Ready? Whereas this is the 25,000 seat arena for the Ephesus Heat. It was 200 years old in Paul's day. This is the theater where this heated event occurred, there arose a great disturbance about the way. That's what they were calling uh, Christianity, the way. A silversmith named Demetrius, who made silver shrines of Artemis, a false god, brought in no little business <laughs> for the craftsmen. So he called them together, got the union reps there, along with the workmen in related trades, and said, <coughs> Men, you know we receive a good income from this business. <coughs> And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in uh, practically the whole province of Asia. He says that man-made gods are no gods at all. <laughs> Soon, he goes on. Soon, the whole city, larger population than Miami, the whole city was in an uproar and rushed as one man into the theater. That theater. That's cool. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd. <laughs> but the disciples would not let him. Even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, sent him a message begging him not to venture into that theater. Because you see, they all shouted in unison for about two hours. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And oh, Paul, let me in there. Let me in there. That's Ephesus. That's Ephesus. Eight years later, Paul's traveling uh, with timid little Timothy, revisiting the churches that Paul has established, planted. And when they get to Ephesus, Paul finds in the church he established false teachers, swindlers, inappropriate overseers, and a serious lack of superintending, which I guess was during spring break. So, Paul, being on a tight schedule, persuades the timid and reluctant Timothy to stay behind and take charge. <laughs> Later, he writes him a letter, 1 Timothy. He writes to him. He even has to write this. Right at the beginning, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus. Stay there. How would you feel? How would you feel if God dropped you off in Miami one day and said, hey, you know what? Why don't you stay here and get these guys straightened out? You say, which guys? Miami. Get Miami straightened out. No wonder, no wonder, and I am, this is not a joke. It is no wonder, because we're going to read the scriptures, Timothy is about to be immortalized in scripture for his bouts of diarrhea. It's such a strange little piece to the scriptures. So this 25,000 seat public theater, which was 200 years old when Tim was put in charge of Miami, I mean Ephesus, one of two places that we're pretty sure Tim sat. The other is this 50-seat public toilet. A 50-seater, no waiting, and no privacy. 
Everyone knows your business. But in Timothy's day, a very modern convenience and perhaps an answer to prayer for poor Tim. So Paul writes, as I urged you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrines. Although I hope to come to you soon, which he doesn't, I'm writing you these instructions so that if I'm delayed, which he is, you will know how to You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household. Command and teach these things. Set an example for the believers. You be the true. You be the true in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Until I come, which he won't, because he's thrown into prison. Hence, Second, Timothy, his final letter. Devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. I have to wonder if he read in the restroom. I just, my mind goes there. And to preaching and to teaching. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that, so that everyone may see your progress. Oh boy, we. There's the line we fear. So that everyone may see your progress. Oh, that requires such transparency, authenticity, genuineness. Watch your life and doctrine closely. It doesn't mean you're perfect. It just means you're open and honest when you blow it. Because that's your witness. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Oh, and uh, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for your stomach's sake and your frequent infirmities. See, he was drinking water only because that had an appearance. You know, I know wine had an appearance of holiness, but that's not what makes you holy. That's like going to a third world location and drinking straight from the bucket. Not smart. Not smart. Back in that day, the regular folk mixed acidic wine with their water to kill the stomach bugs. Paul's like, would you just put some of the wine in the water? And and I'll just say this. It's a little off topic, but if you need to take medication to to make you more balanced in your walk with Christ, take it under a doctor's guidance, of course. But we get some weird thoughts on that. If you need medication and it exists and it works and it benefits. That came from the throne of God. And so you take it and then you don't feel guilty. No, opposite. You thank the Lord for creating it and for allowing one of us to discover it. Okay, that's off topic. Paul goes on to use Tim's embarrassing condition as an illustration. Some men's sins are clearly evident, preceding them to judgment. But as with stomach bugs that stem from bad water, those of some men follow later. Likewise, the good works of some are clearly evident. And those that are otherwise cannot be hidden. Everyone's going to know your business in the end. Our problem is like a a bodybuilder who, who oils up, pumps up, tans up, and 
speedos up in order to showcase his muscles and peak performance. Our pride, our pride likes to flex our spiritual strengths to present a polished product rather than reveal any embarrassing weaknesses that preceded it. Can only imagine. <laughs> we don't want to show off. Oh, I don't want to show the embarrassing weakness that preceded it or uh, might remain in spite of it. We're so afraid. All of us. We share this. We share this. We're so afraid that our track record of failings will somehow prove to the world that God don't want us, can't use damaged goods like us, when exactly the opposite is true. It's what he wants to show off. He wants to show off his power and his patience. So the worst you are, the worse you are, the, the higher your score goes if you're transparent and you submit to Christ and you have a testimony, of course. So Paul encourages Timothy by going first, being boldly, brutally honest about his past. I was a blasphemer, a persecutor. I'm the violent man. I am the worst. And then he says, but for that very reason I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might... That's why he wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, because what better example? The worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who would believe on him and receive eternal life. What has more, what, what has more value when having a deep conversation? Telling someone how much they need Jesus or letting them see how much you did and still do. We all know the answer. That's why ex-addicts make the best counselors at rehab centers. They can relate. They can relate. They know what another addict is going through. And when uh, an addict uh, seeking help knows they've been there. And, and they still struggle then they want to hear their story and their victory and their process and any ongoing struggles. You see, the power of your story, because every one of us has one and it has power waiting to be unleashed. I mean, my goodness, every one of us should walk out of here at 10. You just have to be honest and show the world how bad you are and how good he is. The power of your story comes from letting us in and letting us know why you needed grace. Why did you need God's grace in the first place? And how you received it in the first place through faith in Christ. And what's happened since? And, and where are you at right now? Oh, let us in, let us know. Because when sincere humility meets bold Transparency, the result is inspiring. And we accomplish this by leveling with ourselves and confessing to our Father and sharing our story with others, our historical faults and flaws, as well as our future hopes of overcoming those that remain. It's not about thinking poorly of our value. Mm -mm. but rightly of our condition. See, we tend to either think way too highly or way too lowly of ourselves, and the enemy says, pick one, I don't care. Both are sin, because both are untrue. Just one goes this way, one goes that way. 
but sober self-analysis, the kind the worst of sinners describes here, Paul. Sober self-analysis considers the full spectrum, backs up, looks at all my faults, all my flaws, along with all my strengths and all my skills. And then most importantly, our true value in the eyes of the one true God. And you put those three things together, that's, that's genuine humility. In the big picture, understand, sin was never intended to keep us from the cross, but to drive us to it, and then to help others find their way by our example of God's grace and Jesus' patience. I mean, think about it. Why else would dad put up with it? So, how true are you? Because it's now up to timid little you and me to take on that good fight, fight the good fight, show our own mega city, the one and only faithful and true source of security and identity and victory. So let's pray. Father God, we love and cherish you with all our heart. And as we continue to worship you, we embrace your grace and ask for an ever greater measure of faith. Holy Spirit, empower us to be honest and true and transparent. Help us remove whatever prevents you from having unlimited access to our deepest thoughts and fears and desires. And Lord Jesus, thank you for being our tugboat. We praise you for the, the immense ongoing patience you're displaying in and through each one of us. And everybody said, Amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.